When Willie Came Home From The War, Hurrah Hurrah, by Bart Meehan. Willie was sitting in the front room, staring at the cold ash in the fireplace when I came downstairs. It was still dark out. That was the summer I had a holiday job with Mr Kelly, the milkman, which required a four o'clock start. But my eyes had adjusted, and when I saw the shape perched on the edge of my father's chair, hands locked together and squeezed between his knees, I knew immediately that it was my brother, home from the war. I stopped on the last step of the staircase. Willie, I said, barely loud enough to qualify as a whisper. I moved a little closer. Willie, I said again. He looked at me for a moment, then his head dropped, and he turned away without responding. Upstairs, I heard my mother always a light sleeper, moving. What is it? She called. I was only 11, a late-life mistake that explained the 10 years difference in our ages. Perhaps that was the reason we'd never been very close, and why, the day the Pipers marched through our town and he fell in behind them, I was secretly pleased. My brother was going to war, leaving the house and my parents to me. There would be no more comparisons that I could never win. When word came that he'd been killed, I felt a tug of guilt for my selfishness. But it passed, as all the moral conflicts of youth do. However, for my parents, grief became a fog that slowed their movement through life. My father, never a talkative man, withdrew into a monosymbolic world, while my mother's conversations were largely confined to the latest domestic crisis. Banality was her barrier against pain. Of course, Willie was not the only casualty. The same fog hung over dozens of homes, and for a time, all the days were as dark as light faded in our town. Then, one evening, out of the gloom, March the Mulholland's boy, Brendan. He was the first, the red-haired, freckle-faced joker who died when a trench collapsed on him, came home into the arms of a delirious mother who hugged him while thanking God over and over. A miracle, people agreed, and not to be questioned, even as they noticed that Brendan did not return her hugs. Next were the Williams twins, who had died side by side in a minor skirmish with a camouflage machine gun. Though the twins were similarly stripped of all joy and sat silent and unblinking at the family dinner table, 
playing with food that never made it to their mouths. Their return sparked an epidemic of hope. Widows and grieving mothers sat on their porches, looking down the street and jumping at any movement they saw on the dark edge of town. My own mother was not immune, and she would sit on the swing seat, rocking back and forth until she fell asleep, when my father would carry her up to bed. Now, after all those nights, she was standing on the stairs, staring at her son, her boy, home from the war. I saw her lips tremble. She moved slowly across the room past me, reached out and touched his hair. She combed it with her thin fingers and whispered, My sunshine. My sunshine. Even so, there was light in the house again. My mother smiled and my father tried, even as I put aside sibling jealousy. But as time passed, I began to notice something in the background. When we first received the telegram reporting my brother's death, the house was filled with neighbours, women fussing in the kitchen, while men stood silently on the back porch, sipping from their flasks. That was the way things were done back then. Yet now that Willie was home, there was no one. In fact, people rushed past our house, staring straight ahead, as if a sideways glance would somehow trap them. I asked my father about it. He shook his head. It's hard for some, he said, as if that provided the full explanation. My mother's response to the same question was to wave it away and circle the room in a swirl of domestic panic. There are too many things to do, and I have a family to look after, her movement said. At school, I noticed boys and girls who had once been friendly were now passing me in the yard without any acknowledgement. Only my best friend, Timmy Rogers, stuck with me, and it didn't take long to work out why. Like me, he had had a brother who'd come home, and that was a problem. Why them and not others? The war was over by then. Or maybe it had just moved on as wars do. Fourteen boys had returned, but there were five times that number who died at the front and were still there. For those families, the sight of my brother and others was a torment, and there was only one way that that could be resolved. They're calling them cowards, Timmy told me, repeating the explanation of his more loquacious father. They say their boys have gone to a, on to a better place. And our Theo is stuck here because he didn't have the balls to fight. I was angry at the suggestion, but angrier still at a feeling I could not shake that it might be true, that I wanted it to be true. At night, Willie would sit on the bed in his room staring out the window. As far as I could tell, he never slept. Then, after a few weeks... He started to roam the house, pushing lightly against locked doors, like a cat desperate for a nocturnal adventure. My mother would go downstairs and gently guide him back to his room, but he would only wander again. Eventually, we learned to sleep through the rattles, and when we woke in the morning, we'd find him sitting in my father's chair, clasped hands squeezed between his knees. My mother would steer him to the table and then go through the ritual of making breakfast. My father and I would sit down on either side of him, 
and we'd eat while she talked about nothing over the kitchen sink. So it went for months, until one day I realised that this was our life now, a masquerade of a happy family, and all the resentment and jealousy that had once characterised my relationship with my brother returned. I wanted him gone. There was no logic to it. After all, he'd done nothing to me, not even uttered a word. Since he'd come home, but the feelings of an aggrieved little brother are rarely logical. That night, I unlocked the front door. The next morning, I woke up to chaos. My mother screaming that Willie had got out. My father telling her that everything would be all right. His head appeared in my bedroom doorway and he told me to get dressed. Then he shuffled me down the stairs and out of the house. You look in that direction, he said, pointing to one end of the street. I'll go this way. There were streaks of the new day in the sky, and the weak light cast finger shadows from the trees across the path. Some of the neighbours were beginning to rise. I could see movement in the upstairs windows and hear dogs barking with anticipation. When I reached the end of our street, I turned right. The decision wasn't a conscious one, though thinking back now, I must have had some idea where I was going. At the end of that street was the Wilson place, and there, standing in their yard, was my brother. June Wilson had been his girl before he went to the war. They were what we used to call back then, engaged, to be engaged. Serious enough for the time, and when word came about Willie's death, she'd mourned with us, hugging my mother as they cried on the sofa, holding a photograph that had been taken before he left. But unlike my mother, June's grief passed. She was young, and the future pulled her forward. She met a banker's son from the next town over, one where the young men had managed to resist the pull of the pipers as they marched through, and they were engaged to be married in the summer. For her, Willie had become an occasional memory. Except now, he was standing as a silent reminder on the path that led to her porch, and her father was hovering in the front door with his hunting rifle held loosely in his hands. You get out of here, Mr Wilson was saying. She doesn't want to see you. We don't want to see you. As if to reinforce the point, a loud sob emerged from inside the house. Willie did not move. Mr. Wilson lifted his rifle and aimed it at him. Did you hear me? His voice was starting to crack with anger. I said, get off my property. It was light now, and I was close enough to see the old man's hand trembling. A twitchy trigger finger, my father would have called it. I started to run towards Willie, yelling that it was all right, that I'd take him home, but I was too late. Mr. Wilson fired, and the world stopped for a moment. I was frozen in mid-stride as a bullet left the barrel and cut through the air. It hit Willie in his right shoulder and passed through, finally lodging in the lemon tree by the gate. I screamed, ran at my brother, tackling him around the waist and pushing him onto the grass. He didn't resist. He just lay there, looking past Mr. Wilson into the house, where June, still in her nightdress, was sitting on the stairs head down, her body shaking as she cried. I sat up and checked Willie's shoulder. There was a hole in his shirt where the bullet had entered, but no blood. Just scorched cotton and the ragged edge of dry skin. 
You take him away from here, Mr. Wilson told me, and if he comes back, I'll use the shotgun. I took Willie's hand and walked him back home. I thought he might resist, but he didn't. I thought he might look back, but he just stared straight ahead, never blinking. When we reached our house, he stopped and looked from the porch seat to the tree with a rope swing on the branch to the rose bush that he'd helped my mother plant one spring. His mouth opened as if he was trying to say something. No words came. When I gave my report to my parents, my mother's response was to scream at my father to call the police. He shook his head. I'll do it then, she said. What do you think they'll do, girl? He sounded tired. Tom Wilson can't shoot our boy. He shook his head again and turned away. Won't do anything, he said. He was right, of course. There were no laws against shooting the dead. Not then, and not now. So in the end, no call was made. Instead, my mother began to check the locks on the front and back doors every night, at least three or four times before she went to bed, and she had my father, who was too tired to argue, put a bolt on Willie's bedroom. Even with all that, she would be up half a dozen times to check on him. I never admitted my part in my brother's escape, and was relieved that anger at Mr. Wilson had managed to suppress any investigation. However, whether it was guilt or something else, not long after that, I had a dream. I'm in a trench, waiting to go over the top. There are no shells, no bullets, just silence. Then I hear the pipes and I can't stop myself. I climb the ladder and march into no man's land. Around me are bleached bones, lodged like boundary markers in the mud. They form a path that I follow until I reach a giant shell hole. The sound of the pipes is coming from inside. I climb up and balance on the edge. I look down. The hole is deep and I can't see the bottom. The pipes are so loud now. They have substance. Their music rises out of the dark like a snake charmer's snake and wraps my legs. It tugs and I try to kick it off. It tugs harder and pulls me forward. I scream as my feet slide into space and I start to fall. I keep screaming as I see the faces of other boys floating in the darkness around me. And there amongst them is my brother. He looks at me and whispers, There's no way out. When I woke up, I lay there listening to the night. There's no way out. I heard my mother's desperate shuffle past my door. And I wonder if the words were a warning or a sentence. My father died that Christmas. He fell asleep in his chair in front of the fire and never woke up. My mother hardly noticed. She spent her days following my brother, fussing over him, as if that would somehow bring back the boy who went to war. As for me, I grew up in a lonely house, occasionally misbehaving, until I realised it would not attract any attention. I barely graduated from school, but managed to find a job in a dark corner of town hall, approving licences and recording births, deaths and marriages. I even tried my hand at the latter, proposing to Kate Mitchell, a plump girl whose family felt sorry for us, and wanted to demonstrate a real 
Christian alternative to the way we, and the others, were treated by many of the town folk. For a while, it looked like it might work out, but the visits to my house, sitting at the dinner table, while my mother piled unwanted food on the plate in front of Willie, proved too much. Kate eventually married George Kavanagh, the undertaker's son. Even I could appreciate the irony. As time passed, I shed the petty jealousies of childhood and came to accept that my future was bound to my brother. When my mother died, I took over her role. That was years ago, and now I am old. When I go, there will be no one else, and the town council will take him. I'm not sure what they will do, but whatever it is, I doubt Willie will mind. You see, my brother is haunted by the past. Like all the dead, it is the only thing he has left. What happens tomorrow means nothing to him. <laughs>